Bless the Lord. Will you turn with me to the Psalms? This is Psalm 53. Can I say we had a wonderful time in God's presence again this morning? God has been so gracious and kind and merciful and faithful to us. And we had a wonderful time in His presence this morning. And we've been intending in the Lord's will to continue it on in part two. Psalm 53, please. We'll just read the first three verses, but we ask you to keep your Bible open at this psalm. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, are they? They have done abominable iniquity. There's none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand that did seek God. Every one of them. And imagine that. Every one. Every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Father, take your word and inscribe it in our hearts tonight. And print it upon every mind. Let us see the Savior. Let us see the Lamb of God. Take us further into thee. Lord, we worship you. Conscious of your presence. Lord, I'm conscious of your anointing. And it's your anointing that destroys the yoke. It's your anointing that destroys the yoke over lives, of addictions. It's your anointing that will destroy the yoke of sin. It's your anointing that will destroy the yoke of pride and arrogance. It is your anointing, Lord, that heals the sick in Jesus' name. It is your anointing, Lord, we need. For without you, we can do nothing. But you have promised us, Lord, you have said, Lo, I am with thee. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father, you're here tonight. And we thank you, Lord, we're found in your house and in your presence. Oh, God, would you come, Lord? Would you come and minister to us? For we need you. Our land needs you. Our people need you. Lord, our assembly needs you. Our families need you, Jesus. Oh, Holy Ghost, would you come? And breathe upon us afresh and anew. Life into every breast and into every heart. Oh, God, move. Sovereignly touch. Oh, Lord, for when you will to bless, there is none can curse. And there's none can curse that which you have blessed. And we thank you, Lord, to save tonight. We are the blessed of God. Oh, thank you tonight, Lord. Oh, have your way tonight, Lord, in this place. May the anointing, Lord, break many yokes of bondage, sinfulness, and lives, Lord, that have been wayward. Break it, O oh God. Break the bondage of fear and anxieties. Oh God, break the bondage of oppressions and, and depressions, O oh God. We bind the spirits of influence and demonic forces in Jesus' name tonight. Oh, hallelujah. Glorify thy name. Oh, glorify your son. Be glorified in the midst 
Oh God, we need thee. And thou art great. You've told us already through thy spirit tonight there is nothing too big or too great or too hard for us to ask of thee. And we ask you, God, for our nation. We ask you, God, to turn Ulster around to thee. Oh, we ask you for Holy Ghost power in your church. Oh, come, Lord. For ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon thee. And thou shalt be witnesses unto me. Hallelujah. Help us to witness for you, Lord. Help us to witness in righteousness and sanctification and holiness. But help us to be witnesses in the power of the Spirit. Oh, hide us behind the cross. And hide us behind the Lamb of God. Let the glory of the sun shine. Oh, brighter than any man or woman in this place, Lord. And oh, be exalted in this place and in our midst. Oh, God, we help you to ask you to help us tonight. We just don't believe in you. We believe you. So have thine way, we own way, we pray. Bless every heart we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, bless you, Lord. I was walking through Tormelinas last week in Spain. I told the people this morning there was a group of men came and one was wearing a t-shirt that said the word Google. Ask, I ask Google because there is no God to ask. And he's walking toward me and I was reading it and the first thing I could think of is the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. I says, oh, that man, he's a fool. He's a fool. God's word calls him a fool, not me. But I agree with God's word. Because God's word has said it. And in our reading, Psalm 53 and verse 1, it says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. Corrupt are they. And have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. Now the second time in the Psalms this is written, There is no God. It's the second time it's been exclaimed by the psalmist. The first time is in Psalm 14. And they're almost identical, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. But in Psalm 53, there's a little bit in it there that really puts an urgency. An urgency for the church to go into our nation to proclaim the gospel of saving grace. Of the healing power of God of the baptizer and the Holy Ghost, and of the soon coming King, the Lord Jesus Christ. That this nation must be ready for the greatest event that's ever to happen in the history of man, when Christ himself will roll back the skies like a scroll, and he will fill the skies with myriads of angels, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
than we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And he's coming to rule and reign from Jerusalem. Oh, the times and the signs of the times are all around us and they're showing us that the imminent return of Christ is nigh at hand, yet men and women all over the country are leading their children to say, to proclaim, to believe, there is no God. There is no God, they say. This has an emphasis on it in Psalm 53, more than Psalm 14. It's a double mention because it's mentioned twice. But here there's a little inkling of something else. There's a little urgency. And it's even mentioned in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. Let me read it to you. Romans 3, verses 10 to 12. The apostle is writing, taking from the Psalms that are written for Israel. For the Psalms that are written for you tonight and for me. And the apostle takes it. And he says to those Israelites who went astray and gentilized and all others who come in, I'm born again of the Spirit. We were saved by grace. Listen to what he says. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Paul says that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm telling you, through the eyes of God, he says, every single one of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, no matter what walk of life, no matter what religious divide you've come from, he says, there's none that doeth good. Your alms and your deeds, no good. All your... Charity works, yes, they're good to help, but they're no good for salvation. It doesn't amount to a row of beans. We hear much talk of those who have went out and helped in humanitarian aid, and it's good to help. We hear many people talk about Mother Teresa, how good she was. If she wasn't saved, then she's lost. And she's lost. There's none that doeth good. Did you hear what God said tonight? There's none that doeth good. Did you hear what God said tonight? There's none that doeth good. We do good as a benevolence one to another maybe, but that's on a human level. The standard for eternity, for heaven coming to earth, and the standard for the coming of Christ the standard of the kingdom of God, he says, there's none. He looked upon Israel in the Psalms and he says, there's not one of you. He looks upon Britain, upon Ulster, upon Ireland tonight, and he says, there's not one of you. Not one of you. It's including the preacher. Not one. There's none righteous. There's none that doeth good. Notice here, what he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. The idea of righteous here is God is saying, there is none who observes my divine law. Now, if there are some weren't there from Israel, then how would they know what his law was? If they weren't from Israel. 
He says, there are none that keep my commandments. I do my best, but I can't keep his commandments. Jesus done away with the commandments. No, he didn't. In fact, he enlarged the commandments. He says, it's not just if you kill, but if you murder your brother in your heart, your sister in your heart, by saying that you're calling them names and you hate them in your heart, he says, it's even murder in your father's eyes. Did not do away with the commandments. He actually showed how useless we were and unprofitable in the commandments. He says, you're not observing my laws. You're not keeping my commandments. And he says, there's none who are guiltless, none who are innocent. There are none who are acting unholy, conformed to the will of God. There are none who are approved of me. That's what God's saying. There's not one man, there's not one woman on this earth that was approved of God, save Christ himself. Save the Son of God himself. There's none acceptable unto me. There's none righteous. No, not one. In Romans 3 and 11, it says, there is none that understandeth. Now, this idea, there's none that understand. We understand different things, don't we? There's none that understands their sin. You don't understand who they are. They don't understand uh, their, even their very heritage. They don't understand it. They don't know anything about it. And it's an idiom. What's known as an idiom is written here. And it gives the idea of an upright man having knowledge of those things which pertain to salvation. He says, you can't even see how deep died in your sin you are. Now, if you're saved, you're no longer in your sin. Now, if you're trusting in the blood of Christ, you're no longer in your sin. Now, if you're washed in the blood, you're no longer in your sin. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Are you washed in the blood? Are you washed in the blood? There's power in the blood tonight. There's power. Wonder-working power. In the blood of the Lamb. Notice what he says here. There's none that understands. There's none can pertain unto the things of salvation. Not one of us. Romans 3 and verse 11, he says, There's none that seeketh after God. The idea here is there's none that seeks. There's none that searches. There's none craves for him. Can I ask you something, believer? Let me speak to the believer. Do you crave Jesus? Do you crave him? Do you crave more of his fellowship? Do you crave more of his presence? Do you crave more of Christ in your life? Do you crave him? Are you like the deer that are the heart that panteth after the water brook? So panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Is your soul like that for God? Do you crave him? Think you'll die without him. You cannot live without him. You wouldn't dare, nor dream, nor try to be without him. And yet we go away, we live our lives, and Jesus becomes a Sunday thing. Maybe a Sunday morning thing, or just a Sunday night thing. Do you crave him? Lord, without you I perish. Without you I'm lost. 
save me else I die. Notice what he says here. There's none that investigates or inquires after me of their own selves. And we run it this morning. It takes the Holy Spirit to move upon us. Romans 3 and verse 12. Notice what the apostle tells us. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. Notice they're all gone out of the way. Out of the way means they have turned aside. Everyone turned aside. Israel who were brought out of Egypt in bondage. Through the Red Sea, the miraculous power of God. Fed the manna and fed the quail. Drank water out of a flinty rock. Seen God move in power and glory. And what happened? They turned their faces away from him. And you're no better. We're no better. He says, you're gone out of the way. We have deviated to the right. And shunned me they have. They have deviated to the left. And shunned me they have. Is there a Christian here tonight? And you've deviated from God. You have deviated from his presence. You have deviated and you've shunned him, walked away. You used to be so faithful to him. You used to serve him. You used to follow him closely. You could even smell his aroma, the fragrance of his garments of time. Oh, the beautiful Savior. The Lord says they're all going out of the way. When we look at our nation, this nation that was built on the Word, they're all gone out of the way. When we look at the things that are happening, they're all gone out of the way. They have deviated and they have turned away from God. This reminds me of Isaiah chapter 53. And in verse 6 it says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. That's you, brother. That's me. We were going astray. Hey, listen, we were all like sheep, not like goats. <laughs> he knew us from before the foundation of the world. We were his. But all we like sheep are gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord led on him the iniquity of us all. Can you get that? Like sheep we wandered away from him. And he had to send his son to seek and save that which was lost. He says, we have all gone out of the way. We have become unprofitable. Now, this is a little hard to take. If you're a Christian and you love the Lord Jesus, you don't need to be thinking about this because we're in Christ. But when I look at our nation, when I look at our society, when I look at the heathen come in the land and floods, and they're praying to moon gods. And they're praying to false Baal idol worship. And the silly British public accept the false gods that come into our nation. Gullible. God says they have become unprofitable. Listen to the words it means in the original text. It gives the idea... My people have become useless. The root word is, now listen, 
Don't fall out with me over this. My people have become good for nothing. That's the idea God sees. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. The idea here for doeth good is uh, uh, there's none that doeth good in relation to righteousness that will take us to heaven or take us to the kingdom when God comes. There's none that doeth good. None can be good enough outside of Christ. So how loud should this message be preached? How passionately should it be proclaimed? How rigorously should it be contested? How boldly should it be told, brothers and sisters, by the church of God today in our nation? Can I ask you a question? You be honest, don't shed it out. Answer in your own heart. Are you hearing it? Are you hearing it? It's rare. The Christians will stand up and be counted for the gospel. Psalm 14 and 2 and Psalm 53 and verse 2, again, the same Psalms. Listen to what it says. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see. What does God see when he looks at Ulster tonight? Well, he sees more than I see, and I see a shambles. And he sees much more than I know, and I see, and I see a backslidden people. I see idolatrous worship everywhere. I see people buying the statues that cannot save them. I see sin in our streets and in our villages and in our towns and in our cities. I see humans that would shame the devil. And in the church, I see liberal communism everywhere. Everywhere. You see, what does he see in the church? God looked down from heaven to see. What does he see in your life? What does he see in your home? What does he see where you live? What does he see in the secret place that you hide in? What does he see in your thoughts and in your mind and in your heart? God looked down from heaven. The idea to look down is, it gives the idea, it's another picture where it gives the idea of someone looking out a window. God looks down to see what men are up to, as it were. God looks down to inspect. The word to see is the word ra'af. It means to see, to behold, to get right down beside the person and to look them in the eye. That's my exercise done for the night. Two steps down and two steps up. But only I catch my breath now. I'm joking. So here, what does he see? The idea is he came right down and he saw Israel in their sin. 
Oh God, will you forgive us for what you see that's going on in our land tonight? What you see from government down? What you see behind closed doors and deals that have been made and are being made that are unrighteous? Oh God, forgive us. God looked down to see, and by the way, I've taught this before, let me just drop this in. The corresponding Latin word, corresponding Greek word to this Hebrew word, ra'af, the corresponding Greek word is horio. It gives the same idea to look to see as in a mirror or vision you go to look at. They give a vision off. And the Latin word in correspondence to this is the word video. The English word is video. Where do we get our word video from? It's as though he's sitting watching the movie of Israel in the Old Testament here. Now, in the New Testament, he's saying, you're still the same. Wow. You see, churches will tell you, I heard today of some churches that are okaying alcohol to be drank by their people, and some of them are getting drunk on the Saturday and sitting in the church praising God, as it were, on the Sunday. And listen, their church is packed. You know why? Because their people love to have it so. Here, God looks and he sees. And so, this tends to lead man to declare there is no God. There is no God. The urgent unction of Psalm 53 is not only because it's a second mention from Psalm 14, it's not just because it's a second witness from Psalm 14 either, but the title gives us a, a compunction to read it and then to see what God's heart is in the midst of it. You ever wonder what God sees and then how God feels when he sees people in their drunkenness and young women giving themselves away to men who tell them to love them? And treat them like dirt. Think how God thinks about that. You listen, young woman. No matter what a man tells you, sun, moon, and stars, he gives you it all. He's a liar. Wait until you're married. If he won't wait on you, then he's not worth you. If he won't wait on you, then he's not worth you. Notice this. It says here in the very top of our Psalm 53, there's a little opening credit. And here is the, the thrust behind the psalm. To the chief musician upon Mahalath, Mishkal, Mishkal's a psalm of David. Now to the chief musician here, it gives the idea of Write this to the worship leader of God's choir on the earth. Can you see David and Israel saying, I'm going to write this. 
But this has to be not just sung by Ken Davidson on his guitar. This has to be sung by the chief musician. This has to be led and done right because it's what God wants us to say. And it's what God wants our nation to know. He says, I want it to be done right. Give it to the worship leader of God's choir on the air. And while this worship leader is privileged to sing the jubilates of divine grace, listen, he must not retract from the chant of miseries of human depravity and sin. What am I saying? People need to know what they're being saved from before they can get saved. Listen, if you want to have a blessed life, ask Jesus into your heart and you'll float off to heaven. It's a lie. It's a lie. But if you want to be redeemed and enter his kingdom, then repent. Repent. <laughs> That's a different tone, isn't it? Isn't that solemn? Do you know why I'm doing this? Because that's the way this title reads. I'm telling you, as this title says, it means tell them and don't miss the wall. Don't miss them and hit that wall, he says. You tell them. David says, give it to the chief musician. To the chief musician, God's choir leader on earth. Listen to what Yahweh proclaims through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 58 and verse 1. Isaiah 58 and verse 1, he says, Cry aloud, spur not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions in the house of Jacob my sins. Listen, you preacher in the pulpit. Listen, you Ken Davidson and Joe Bloggs pastor, a preacher up the street, and every one of us, the Lord says, you lift up your voice and cry. Blow it like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions, the house of Jacob their sins. He says, make sure you don't miss them and hit the wall. And now you see the atmosphere that brings conviction. Causes us to think, I wonder how many tonight would say, in this place, there is no God. I dare say, none, because he's here. He's here. Here, the word mahalath, it comes from a root word, it, meaning, it, say, it means disease and it gives the idea it should be sang about the disease and sickness of God's people or of Israel and the disease of sickness of our nation or the disease and sickness in the church. <laughs> As to be played on a stringed instrument like a harp or lyre. Just play it and play it and it's solemn. Let me tell you that this nation is in trouble playing on his harp. Let me tell you about the sin. Let me tell you what God sees. Let me tell you there's none righteous. Let me tell you your temple worship is wrong. Let me tell you the offerings of bulls and goats and lambs and rams and pigeons and turtle doves, they're no longer viable. No temple worship. 
for the forgiveness of sins. For the Lamb of God has died for us. And he's taken our sins away. Oh, the Christ of glory. Listen to what Matthew Henry says. He says, the scope of this is to convince us of our sins. To set us a to set us a blushing and trembling because of them. In singing it, we ought to lament the corruption of the human nature and the wretched degeneracy of the world we live in, yet rejoice in the hope of the great salvation. Psalm 53 and verse 6, the end of the psalm says, Oh, that salvation, the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. Oh, the psalmist is looking. How do we cleanse our ways, Lord? How do we come before you? Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. I have something to tell you. Post-cross, it already has. It already has. The word salvation there is the word Yeshua. For Jesus. Oh, that Jesus would come. Send Jesus. Send Jesus and he will save us. He'll come out of Zion. And oh, Jesus came out of Zion, the house of David of the tribe of Judah. And he bore our sin and shame. So the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's my introduction. Let me get a drink. Might have to do two weeks. Now, many a person, maybe it's you, many a person has said from their lips in a moment of madness, there is no God. Many a person have uttered it in a season of despair or in a valley of disappointment, there is no God. Many have spoken it in a thoughtless rant or in a time of disillusionment, there is no God. Many have mouthed it in the place of weakness or during a spell of doubt or an attack on their faith and they have said, there is no God, where are you? But somewhere within them they have a witness. It's called their conscience. As old Puritan John Trapp once said, conscience is God's spy and man's overseer. And the believer many a times, many believers sometime may have said, where are you? There is no God. And your conscience says, you know there's God. You know there's a God. Many deny the Lord Jesus. Many say it from their lips, but it's not really from their heart. And God sees the heart. And just like Peter when he denied Christ thrice, I know not the man, I know not the man, I wasn't with him, I don't know him. Yet when Peter went out, it says, and Peter wept, bitterly he wept, and he wept, and he wept, and he wept, and he wept, as though he wouldn't stop weeping. You see, he had repented, and Christ came, resurrected on the shore, and the first thing he says, he says, Peter, do you love me? He didn't say, look what you've done, you denied me, he says, do you love me? But then there are those who say there is no God and they speak directly from their heart. 
There are those who want to run with the crowd and they want to run with the youth and they want to run with society and they want to run with what is politically correct just so as they don't have to swim upstream. Sure, any old fish can swim downstream. Many of them would say with the crowd, there is no God. Many of them say there is no God. They excuse their ways. Many say there is no God. They excuse their lifestyles. They're like the proverbial ostrich who stick their head in the sands of cut and run and the carefree attitude of life and they say there is no God. But you know, way in there, they wonder. They want to live in their sin. Parent, I have two girls. And I would be concerned too. But listen, you see a wayward child. And they've heard and they've watched your testimony and they know you love him. You just keep praying for them because they may say there is no God. Watch him work at them and bring them back. Now, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. I believe he's different. I believe he's different. You see, Jesus says in Luke 12 and 9, He that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. There's no excuse for them, for they haven't sought forgiveness. They have never come to Christ. They have never put their faith in Him. There are those who, listen, the fool hath said in his heart. The, the, the idea here for the word heart is the word live. And live means from the center, from the inner man, from the inner woman, from the core of their being, with all that they are, their emotions, their will, their very satisfactions in the person who they are inside, and they mean it with all their heart. There is no God! You hear it all the time. Radio broadcasts. TV. Newspapers. Magazines. Whatever you read God calls them a fool. But he just doesn't say they're foolish. He says they're wicked. The word fool means wicked and vile. So the fool has said in his heart there is no God. And not only does God, not only does the fool say there is no God, but did you know as we round this up, and I'll do this as quick as I can, did you know that God says there is no God? What? How could he say there is no God if he's God? Listen, first of all, I want to put this into a couple, of, a couple of three quick points. Listen, first of all, there's God is the sovereign judge. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 9. See, now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. <laughs> God says there's no God. He says there is no God but me. There's no God even in the vain imaginations of man. There's no God in the idols and the statues and the temples. There is no God, he says, but me. There's no imaginary God in the atheist mind that the non-God becomes a God to them. The God they don't believe in, they fight against them an awful lot for not believing in him. 
If you didn't believe in him and you, you really were sure in your heart that he didn't exist, would you fight so hard against him? The Lord says, of God that you think I am, that's an idol. See, now that I, even I, am he, there is no God with me. Listen, I kill. Oh dear. I make alive, I wound, I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. The idea is neither is there any delivered for, can deliver those who are marked now for destruction. Talk about election. That's another subject. Listen, first of all, he is the God of self-existence. He says, I am even, I am he. Secondly, he is the God of soul supremacy. There is no God with me. He's not saying there's two gods or three gods. He's not saying there's four or five or six. He's not saying there's a plethora of God or a pantheism of gods. He's not saying there's many gods or a few other gods. He says there is no God with me. Amen. He is a God of soul supremacy. Thirdly, he is a God of absolute sovereignty. And judgment, I kill, he says, and I make alive. And he's the God of irresistible power, he says, neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. Secondly, he's a sovereign king. Isaiah 44, verses 6 and verse 8 says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Who created the heavens and the earth? God. Who was beside him? No one. <laughs> Who helped him? No one. Who instructed him? No one. He created it from the very words spoken of his mouth. He says, I am the first, and beside me there is no God. The end of verse 8, he says, Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Now, if he doesn't know any other gods, then neither do I. He is a God who is king. He says he's king of Israel. He's a God who redeems us. He is our Goel kinsman, redeemer, the God become flesh. He is the God who is deliverer and protector. And fourthly, he is the God who is unique. Because beside me, he says, there is. He is God whether the fool believes in him or not. His existence does not depend on others' belief, but is determined on his self-existence. He says, I am the first and I am the last. Listen, an idol can't be the first because it has to be made. Think about it. And an idol can't be the last because idols wear out and grow thin and break up. He is eternal. Thirdly, he's the sovereign saviour, Isaiah 45, verse 21. This is our last point. He says, tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath delivered this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? There is no God else beside me. A just and the saviour. There is none else beside me. You know what God's saying? See if you want saved. See, if you are not saved and you want saved, you don't go to that idol. Don't bow to Mary. Do you hear me? 
Don't bow to that statue. Don't trust in the saint. Don't trust in the pastor. Don't trust in this church. Don't trust in your denomination. Don't trust in the mass. He says, I am the Savior. Almighty God says, I am your King. I am your Redeemer. I am your Savior. Now, we have the sinner's defense. Tell ye and bring them near. He says, come on, sinner, come before me. Get together and tell me something. Tell me. Try and justify yourself. Is there one that would come and say, I tried my best. I tried my hardest. Look, God, you should let me, you should let me into the kingdom. And why is that? Because I went to CET one night. And Ken Davidson scared the life out of me. <laughs> And I even took it and didn't cry. <laughs> How do they justify themselves, but they can't? Christ is our justifier. We have the compassion of God. We have the infallibility of his word in the scriptures. I haven't time to go through all of this. We have the justice of God. But how does God show himself just yet justly demand and punish the sinner. That's how he does it. How can God stay just if he can't let you into his kingdom in sin? See, if he does, he'd have to say sorry to the devil. Let me read this. There is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Now listen to what he says in verse 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God. I am Elohim. And there is none else. <laughs> I have sworn by myself. I didn't swear by Allah. I swore by myself. Didn't even swear by Abraham. He swore by himself. I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness. It shall not return unto me. That every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear or confess. You ever heard that before? The apostle again takes it into Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall buy of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, how do we find salvation in anything else? What must we do that our nation would do? Listen to this. As Solomon said, 1 Kings 8 and 23, he says, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on the earth beneath who keepeth covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all thy heart. Solomon says, there is no God beside you. 
I got on a plane coming home a few years ago with Alice and the girls, and they usually sit together, the three of them. And I sit on the other side of the aisle. There's a man in here, and he was reading a book, The God Delusion. And there's no, nobody sitting between us. I know it was eating me up. So I thought, I'll get a conversation with this guy on the way over. I'll get a wee bit of a word with him. So I get on and I be bag and I pull out. God has no celebrity stars among Christians. And it was from a Baptist pastor in the States. So I'm starting to read it and I, I kept looking over and he wasn't bothering. And I, I took the book and I set it in the middle. <laughs> I tried and I tried and he wasn't biting. And you know when the captain says, we're going to land in 10 minutes or whatever it is, 15 minutes. And I thought, Lord, what am I going to do with this man here? Do you like your book? I have read it two or three times and that's great. <laughs> do you believe it? Well, I don't know what else to believe. I says, well, here, let me tell you something about the Lord. Uh, 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 I don't think we've time. Let me take a minute. <laughs> You're not going anywhere anyhow, you know. <laughs> so we're coming into land, and I had a book that I had read, but wasn't in the hold in my case. And it was by a man called Lee Strobel, Case for Christ. He was an atheist who didn't believe. He was an investigative journalist, and the more he searched into things and into the scriptures to tell people there was no God, the more God got hold of him. <laughs> and this man got saved and started writing books, Case for Christ, and Gary, you've read a few of them, uh, and other books. I think it was you who gave me that book, actually, the Case for Christ. And I just read it, and I thought, where's that book? I says, have you got bags you have to pick up? He said, yes. I said, see if I give you a book. Would you read another book from another, another angle? He says, oh, well, I says, do you promise? He says, I promise you I'll read it. So we get off and off the plane, and I'm watching every case coming off the carousel, and I go, oh, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> and the guy's on the other side, Belfast International Airport, they're up. And I go, come on, come on. And I seen this bag coming round, and there was the guy looking for it, and I can see that's his bag. And I was praying, Lord, get this bag out, please, Lord. And lo and behold, then the wee bag come out. And I opened it up and stuck my hand in and I got the book out. The Case for, for Christ by Lee Strobel. And I opened it up. And I said, Alison, give me a pen, give me a pen, give me a pen. And in case he doesn't read this, I need to get something into him. As soon as he opens the first page, I wrote, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. <laughs> and I run around, he's walking out. I said, excuse me, would you read that? He says, oh, well, I says, do you promise? He says, I promise you that I'll read it. And he took it. And off he went home with it. See, the fool may say in his heart there is no God. But listen, God can touch the conscience. First glory. God bless his word to us tonight. For Christ's sake. Amen.